Good day, it's May 9th, and you are listening to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we read a daily portion from both the Old and New Testaments and give a short commentary to assist you towards the goal of reading through the entire Bible in a year. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it's great to have you with us today. We're in the book of 1 Samuel. Yesterday, we concluded our reading with the account of the Ark of the Covenant being captured by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant stood for the place where God communes with mankind on the ground of righteousness. It stands as a placeholder in the Old Testament for the atoning work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament that will satisfy God's demands for justice and make it possible for Him to meet with us in mercy. However, due to the disregard for the prescribed priestly service, particularly through the wayward sons of Eli, the Ark of the Lord's Testimony is taken away by the enemy, and the priesthood of the household of Eli is destroyed. The priesthood had failed. When the news reaches Eli's pregnant daughter-in-law that Eli and his sons, including her husband Phinehas, had died, she goes into labor giving birth to a son, whom with her dying breath she names Ichabod, literally meaning no glory, for the glory has departed from Israel. The story of God's mercy despite human failure continues, but there are some hard lessons to learn on the road to God fulfilling His covenant promises with the coming of the true King of Kings, the Messiah. Once again we will see how in the midst of human failure, God is not absent. The impact of His testimony will be felt even in the enemy's camp. So let's begin with today's reading from 1 Samuel chapter 5. We will read through to chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 The Philistines and the Ark When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and He terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for His hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. 
They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel, and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Chapter 6 The Ark Returned to Israel The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land, and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away, and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart, but take the calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Bethshemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us, it happened to us by coincidence. The men did so, and took two milk cows, and yoked them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Bethshemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Bethshemesh. Now the people of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Bethshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron, these are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Bethshemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. 
he struck seventy of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jearim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Chapter 7 And the men of Kiriath-Jearim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jearim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. And this is the end of our reading from today's passage in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. The failure of the people of God to respect all that the Ark of the Covenant represented, rather than the material object itself, led to their presumptuous idea that they would be victorious over their enemies, the Philistines, merely by having the Ark with them in the battle. Instead, they were defeated. They proved to be just as idolatrous as the pagan Philistines. The Philistines had their good luck charm, the lifeless idol Dagon, and the Israelites had what they presumed to be their lucky charm, the Ark of the Covenant. 
The ark represented the living God. It bore the testimony of God's holiness. This was evident in that the ark chest housed the tables of stone with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, written upon them. It also contained the testimony of God's authority and power, the symbol of resurrection life found in the rod of Aaron that supernaturally budded. It held the promise of covenantal blessings rather than curses, symbolized by the miraculous provision given during their wilderness wanderings, the pot of manna. The presence and the power of their covenant-keeping God could be mediated to His covenant partners only through their obedient devotion, priesthood, and the provision of the required atoning sacrifices of the tabernacle. Now the Ark of the Covenant, taken from Shiloh, is captured by the Philistines at Ebenezer and brought to the temple of Dagon at Ashdod. Dagon was an idol whose features were a combination of both a fish and a man. There have been discoveries of such ancient sculptures in Nineveh in Assyria. The Philistines were a sea people who settled along the Mediterranean coast of Palestine circa 1200 B.C. Their livelihood and food were predominantly provided from the sea. The fish-man deity represented the vivifying source of fertility and prosperity to the Philistines. The Babylonians had a myth that such a being, part man and part fish, emerged from the Erythian Sea. They adopted the deity into its culture from the earliest days of their history. The Philistines placed the Ark of the Covenant next to the statue of Dagon and left it overnight. The next day they discovered that their idol had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Covenant. The supremacy of the testimony of the one true God of the Israelites over the false testimony of the idol of the Philistines was on public display, much to the embarrassment of the temple priests, who immediately went to work to put the fallen statue upright once again. The next day the Philistines discover that their Dagon idol had fallen once again. This time the statue's head and hands were cut off and lying on the threshold. This is another foreshadowing of the gospel. The perfect testimony of God's righteousness, almighty power, and covenant faithfulness in Jesus Christ will crush the head of the evil serpent, Satan, in Genesis chapter 3.15, and expose the impotence of the idols of this age, the Babylonian, Philistine, American idols, etc., and bring them to naught. Fallen, fallen is Dagon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, and chapter 18, verse 2. Only the trunk of Dagon was left, and all those who entered the house of Dagon thereafter acknowledged this calamity by never again treading on the temple's threshold. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 5. Psalm 115 describes the pitiful condition of man-made idols. They are the work of man's hands. They have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. Those who make them will become like them. Psalm 115, verses 5 through 8. The terms of Yahweh's covenant with the people of Israel were spelled out in terms of both blessings and curses. The Philistines were unwittingly laying claim to the repercussions of having the Ark of the Covenant in their presence without understanding who the covenant-keeping God was. The Israelites experienced God's chastisement of defeat and death at the hands of the Philistines for their disobedience to His commands. They were humiliated by the enemy's confiscation of the Ark of the Covenant, but the terms of the covenant also specified such curses as plagues for unfaithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58 reads, 
If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues, and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. God, in His mercy, did not permit the plague to fall upon the Israelites, but instead allowed the Philistines to experience the consequences of violating His law. A plague most likely spread by rats or mice, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 4, caused tumors to develop on their bodies in Ashdod. Some believe this was the bubonic plague that caused painful swelling of the lymph glands, especially in the groin. Some scholars believe it was a plague of tumors and severe hemorrhoids. The Philistines, anxious to prove that the calamity was a coincidence and not related to the presence of the ark, moved the ark to the city of Gath. To their dismay, the plague broke out upon the men, young and old, in Gath also. God was vindicating the fact that he was behind the fall of Dagon. When the Philistines removed the ark from Gath, intending to bring it to Ekron, the people of Ekron protested, recognizing that the ark needed to be in its rightful place or the judgment plague of the God of Israel would fall upon them also. The leaders go to the pagan priests and diviners to determine what to do with the captured ark of the Lord God of Israel. Since settling in Palestine, the Philistines established five major inland cities, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, Each city had its ruler, or lord. The diviners recommend that the ark be returned with a guilt offering of five golden representations, symbolic of the plague, to turn away God's anger, five golden tumors and five golden mice, the number five representing the five Philistine communities. The Philistine priests instruct the leaders to put the ark of the covenant on a cart hitched to milk cows with no experience of pulling a load. The leaderless, inexperienced, untrained milk cows carry away the ark. The Philistine priests proclaim that if the milk cows take the ark back to a city occupied by Israelites, these events are to be recognized as being by the hand of the God of Israel. If not, they will put all these episodes down as coincidence. The milk cows bring the ark directly to the city of Beth Shemesh, not looking to the left or to the right, obviously directed by a supernatural power. The Levites of Beth Shemesh took the ark off the cart and offered the milk cows as a burnt offering upon the fire, fueled by the split wood from the ark's cot they demolished. A great stone was erected to mark the occasion of the ark's return. However, the holiness of God proved to be too much for the men of Beth Shemesh. Some of them violated God's command, looking into the ark uncovered. Seventy of their men were killed as a result of their transgression. Warren Wearsby writes, quote, the men of Beshemesh should have covered the ark because it wasn't supposed to be seen by anyone except the high priest, and this mistake was costly. Some of the people became curious and looked into the ark and were slain. If the pagan Philistines were judged for the way they treated the ark, how much more responsible were the Jews who knew the law and were living in a Levitical city? End quote. God did not kill the men of Beshemesh to be cruel but to remind the children of Israel not to disregard his warnings, presume familiarity with God, and disobey his commands. The men of Bethshemesh make an appeal to the men of Kiriath-Jearim to come and take the ark away from them to the house of Abinadab, where it would stay for another twenty years. Samuel steps into his prophetic role by calling the people of Israel to repentance. 
Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. A public service of repentance takes place at Mizpah. Samuel is received as both prophet and judge, and as such he leads the children of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. The five lords of the Philistines threaten to attack the gathered Israelites at Mizpah. Samuel intercedes on their behalf, and as a result, God intervenes with heavenly thunder, throwing the Philistines into a panic and allowing the Israelites to drive away the enemy as far as below Bethkar. Samuel marks the occasion of the Philistines' defeat with a stone set up between Mizpah and Shen and called it Ebenezer, meaning, Thus far the Lord has helped us. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. This was the same place where the Philistines originally captured the ark in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 and chapter 5, verse 1. No coincidence. It was a wonderful testimony of God's mercy, bringing recovery through repentance and faith. The towns that the Philistines had captured from the Israelites from Ekron to Gath were restored to them. Samuel leads the children of Israel in twenty years of revival. From the day that the ark remained in kiriath Jearim, the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The NIV, or New International Version, translates this, mourned and sought after the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. There was peace between the Israelites and the Amorites. The Lord kept the attacks from the Philistines at bay during Samuel's lifetime. Samuel performed his duties as judge of Israel, traveling the circuit of cities, but he always returned home to Ramah. There he built an altar. I think this final picture is a reminder that whatever our vocation and business may bring us, as believer priests, we are to maintain an altar of worship for our family at home. And now we go to the New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And this is the end of our reading from today's New Testament portion from the Gospel of John. The feeding of the five thousand is the only miracle apart from the resurrection of Christ that appears in all four Gospels. Jesus' reputation as a miracle worker had drawn a large crowd to a mountainside on the far shore of Galilee away from any food shops. The disciples suggest that they dismiss the crowd and find their own food. Mark chapter 6, verses 35 to 36. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize that the disciples were to take responsibility for feeding them. Jesus said, You give them something to eat. Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, Mark chapter 6, verse 37, and Luke chapter 9, verse 13. John states that Jesus tests his disciples by questioning them as to where they could buy bread for these people, and that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. John chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus is testing how the disciples are thinking. What is their approach to problem-solving? Will they look to him or to themselves? Will they look at what the shops can provide or what he can provide? So often, our first response is, what can we pay for, instead of, what can God provide? This is how far Philip's thinking can bring him. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. John chapter 6, verse 7. Andrew looks for whatever provision is at hand, the lad's lunch of five loaves and two fish, but his estimations go only that far. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many people? Jesus then takes charge, instructing the crowd to be seated on the grass. The Gospel of Luke adds the detail that he instructs them to gather in groups of approximately fifty. The disciples found the fish, and the loaves were miraculously multiplying as they distributed as much as the people wanted. The reference to groups of fifty links this event with the miraculous multiplication that takes place on the Harvest Multiplication Day, known as Pentecost, meaning 50th day, when the 120 in the upper room go out on the streets and win 3,000 people to faith in the risen Christ, in Acts chapter 2. After all the 5,000 men, plus women and children, had their fill, the disciples discovered that they had more food left over than what they started with, 12 baskets full, one take-home bag of leftovers for each of the disciples, Jesus' twelve co-workers in the miraculous feeding. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water is recorded in all the Gospels except Luke. The Lord knew the storm was coming. He is the Lord of the storms and knew that his disciples had to face storms in their lives if they were to grow spiritually. Once again, Jesus demonstrates who he is. Here are some observations. Number one, Jesus perceives that the crowds want to take him by force and make him king. John 6, verse 15. He will not let the people make him their mascot. 
They want Jesus to be king. They want him to rule, but they do not want to be ruled. They were interested in him granting them the food that perishes, but not the food of his person and the saving work that would give them eternal life. Number two, Jesus gravitates to solitude, communion with his Father, even in the midst of his popularity, knowing that it might disappoint his fan base. Chapter 6, verse 15, part B. Number three, the disciples head home to Capernaum on the other side of the sea, apparently leaving Jesus to return in his time. Jesus resorts to his favorite means of transportation, walking, except now he is walking on water. They are understandably frightened. He calls them to recognize him for who he is and not to be afraid. We have more than 366 admonitions in the Bible reminding us to fear not, at least one for every day of the year, including leap year. The actual number of fear not and or be not afraid commandments number only 103, but the idea comes across in more verses. Number four, when the disciples received Jesus on board the boat, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. John chapter 6, verse 20. This is a great encouragement to those who receive Jesus into their lives on his terms. In salvation, he gets you where you need to be, complete in Christ Jesus. And he does this instantly, and he does it positionally. Now let's go to the book of Psalms, the Bible songbook, Psalm 106. We're continuing from verse 13, and we'll read through to verse 31. Once again, the psalmist is recording the history of the people of Israel and the merciful works of God. Psalm 106, verse 13. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. That concludes our reading from Psalm 106. We continue to read the unfolding story of God's mercies to the children of Israel. He is to be praised for his everlasting kindness. The psalmist lists the many instances of the unfaithfulness of God's people. They quickly forgot the wondrous work of their deliverance from Egypt. They did not wait for his counsel. They murmured about the manna. They craved the quail. They rebelled against Moses and the office of the priesthood. They worshipped the golden calf and credited their idol with the saving works of Yahweh. 
They despised the promised land, cowered in fear of giants. They forsook God's laws of sexual morality and joined themselves to the idolatry at Baal Peor. They compromised their obedience and failed to drive out the demon-worshipping Canaanites from the land God had given them as an inheritance. Instead, they adopted the demonic practices of the pagans. In the midst of the list of faithfulness, we have an example of faith in Phineas. Then Phineas stood up and interposed, and so the plague was stayed, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31. Phineas stands out as an example of faith, similarly to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Do you remember this key incident in the book of Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6? And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and we're reading from Proverbs chapter 14, verses 32 and 33. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous find refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. The New American Standard Bible reads, The wicked is thrust down by his wrongdoing, but the righteous has a refuge when he dies. Wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding, but in the hearts of fools it is made known. Those who trust in the Lord have a refuge even in times of calamity. Believers who receive the gift of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ have the assurance of a refuge when they die. Those who understand their need for a Savior and trust Him will have the vindication that they are truly wise. But those who trust in themselves for a right standing and think themselves wise in doing so will be proved to be foolish. Let's pray together. O Lord, help us to recognize that you are the living God, not a mere mascot or a creed to believe. We thank you for your testimony in Christ Jesus. We are grateful for our faith union with him. Keep us from presuming a guarantee for victory apart from trusting you moment by moment. You are Lord of the storm, and you have the power to get us through each trial with the best spiritual benefit. Keep us from any compromised obedience in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, that's a wrap on today's reading from the One Year Bible, and I hope that you have been encouraged with these remarkable stories, and we thank God that the glory of the Lord has not departed, but we have the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, residing as the Lord and Savior of our lives. We look forward to being with you tomorrow, and we encourage you, if you have any questions or comments, to write us at podcast at newlife.org. Also, if you have any questions about New Life Community Church and its missions and ministries, you can go to our website, and there you can also subscribe to get a written copy of the commentary of the daily reading. And that address is newlife, that's one word, newlife.org. God bless you with peace and joy in abundance.